recognizing that fundamentally renting uh, compute and all and storage and all the other pieces related to it, those companies make margins and you may need to reclaim those margins if you have success as you're playing around in this space. In the world of technology, heroes are everywhere. They're overcoming disruption, delivering sustainable outcomes, and fearlessly forging the future to solve what's next. Join me, Ed McNamara, as we meet the people and businesses driving change in our constantly disruptive world. This is Innovation Heroes, a podcast brought to you by SHI. This episode is brought to you by Pure Storage. Turn bottlenecks into breakthroughs with Pure's modern data experience. Talk to an expert today and learn more at shi.com slash brands slash pure dash storage. In 2019, the city of New Orleans was hit by a cyber attack. Within hours, thousands of servers and computers were shut down. The city was brought to a halt and a state of emergency was declared. The city needed to test, cleanse, and store all its data elsewhere as soon as possible. Not only did they need a new IT infrastructure, but they now needed twice as much storage. Within days, new equipment was on site and data was migrating to pure storage. Welcome back to another episode of Innovation Heroes, the podcast exploring the people and businesses driving change in a constantly disrupted world. I'm your host, Ed McNamara. This week, we're highlighting an often overlooked and taken for granted tech hero, those in data storage. Not only do they constantly refine how that digital gold we call data is stored, they defend that data against attacks while building infrastructure and supporting AI innovation. Andrew Miller is lead principal technologist for the Americas at Pure Storage. He started working on the customer side for seven years in storage and security. Now he's been on the partner and vendor landscape for more than eight years. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. And uh, I love the intro. It's like you planned it. It's, Amazing. It's painful to sit there and listen to some nice things said about you and some of the things that you've done, right? <laughs> I, I think if you want to do that for the whole rest of the podcast, I'll just sit here and, and try to look pretty. But, you know, right, we'll I feel take like a I break. I'll need about at least 20 minutes to get that, get that done. But <laughs> so just to talk about you a little more, I loved your job description, your LinkedIn profile that, that reads, quote, you work with so many groups, it's hard to list them all. Customers, partners, product management, marketing, sales, pre-sales, technical, etc. And then you say right after, more in this space as the role becomes more practically defined. Like, I love that because I'm in the same boat. And I feel like you're one of those people, like when somebody asks you what you do, it seems like the you first have to ask you know, who are you and what do you need? You tell me who you are and I'll tell you what I do. Is, is that accurate? That's accurate. There's also, to be real, just the, the level of trying to figure out how interested they are in the answer. So are they looking for a 30-second answer? <laughs> right. Or a 30-minute answer, you know, kind of thing. But but yeah, I mean, and it's, 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 it's fun because, like you mentioned, started on the customer side for a while, so see that aspect in the data center. Partner side, kind of SE to manager, director for a while, so see those different aspects in coaching and mentoring and learning and doing well. And then to the vendor side, both from an HQ standpoint and from a field standpoint. So where I sit right now, I think it's one of the other things I've been linked in, but I, I like it. I say it too. It's not just on LinkedIn. It's kind of sitting at the intersection of business and technology. And that's not just one intersection. Right. That's an intersection of a lot of different pieces that go around that. Right. Uh, do you have to be a liaison across all of those groups? I mean, there's, you, you, there's some real technical folks in there. There's there's marketing, which as a marketer, I could say is not the most technical. Mm -hmm. um, are you a translator across all of these? 
Definitely. Uh, I actually got this from, from John Troyer way back in the day with, with Geek Whispers. That was a podcast a while back about, you know, nerds that are allowed to speak, whether we want to say we're a nerd <laughs> or a geek. You know, we, we could have fun with the definition right. kind of thing. But there's definitely a translation role. And even was working yesterday on some of some of what we're doing for our, our sales kickoff and helping build out some of the content. Thinking often for me, it's even sometimes a little bit of a binary. If I'm speaking from a customer standpoint, am I more in a more business mode mentally, or am I more in a technical mode? Business is like you know we're thinking about raising revenue, reducing risk, reducing costs, that kind of thing. Technical, well, that actually goes down a whole different path. But I've, I've tried uh, the phrase I like to use is not to lose my technical soul yeah. over the years. And even to your comment about being in marketing helped. Um, previous role built out a technical marketing evangelism team that was part of marketing. And the way I would sometimes describe that is it's, it's the marketing for people that don't like marketing, right? But, but they need good content written and online or, and sometimes as well, uh, if I'm being a little snarky, I'd talk to someone that we'd get to know each other and it's like, okay, you kind of know what you're talking about and be like, yeah, Hey, even if you're cynical about marketing, think how much worse marketing would be without people like you or like me in marketing right you know, kind of thing. <laughs> um so this is a podcast about heroes today we're talking about the unsung heroes of data storage and i want to start with the story i mentioned in the intro the new orleans uh, attack can you walk us through what happened there uh and what you think it tells us about the need for for better storage solutions yeah, i'm happy to so the some of the scenario is what you mentioned you know it, it was december 13th 2019 uh 5 a.m they woke up to you know to a ransomware attack in process. And and by the way, there's always the idea of the point of infiltration. Usually the attacker's in for weeks, months, maybe even years sometimes. But then with the point of encryption, the encryption kicks off, that's when you know you can't miss it. Even if you don't have any alerting and monitoring systems, you know, because systems are going offline. And then they actually had to shut off, although often it should be cut off access versus shut down so you don't use logging, but they actually had to cut off access and they were they were down like I mean so 470 plus servers, virtual machines, thousands of computers, um, paying taxes, court procedures. Um, maybe if you had to go pay a traffic ticket, you were happy, you know. But either either way, you know. So the, the city was shut down. It affected 4,000 city employees, nearly 400,000 residents. Now that's some of what is in the in the public case study. I, I actually made sure to reach out. And chat with um, a gentleman, Tom Grady. Want to give him a, a shout out? He's been with Pure for a while. He's he's well known within the Louisiana community because um, he's been he's done the right thing from an IT sales perspective, which is like you do the right thing, you wander around between different roles, you keep working with people. We're all people. People work with people, you know, kind of thing. So I, I was chatting with him a little bit about even a little bit of an extra layer there. Um, the day that this happened, uh, actually, it was, it was on on a Friday. Um, he was actually at lunch with SHI that day. Um, in, a, in another city in Louisiana, they were actually talking about helping another customer with some ransomware items. I got to leave out the customer name, but I'm, I'm not right. making that up. I was confirming that the other day. Um, and, and so then he actually has had spent a lot of time working with the city of New Orleans in previous roles. And Pure had actually been working with them about some kind of next generation and phases of infrastructure. But you don't cut this stuff over right away, even if sure. it's, you know, it's a good it's a good sales rep. It's good technology like there's, you know, tech, there's there's gravity. There's data gravity. That's not a made up term. So what happened then is they actually were told by the National Guard they needed to build a, a new infrastructure. So Tom shows up Saturday morning um, with, you know, drinks, not, not, the, 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 the drinks that you should be drinking at work. Right. Kind of thing. <laughs> and um, and king cake and donuts, you know, kind of thing. It is New Orleans. So king cake. And um, and he's actually you know told that they've been told that they need to build out an entirely new infrastructure. Now, fortunately, 
they'd already been working with Pure and with SHI on what that looked like a good bit. Mm -hmm. But within about an hour and a half on a call, they were actually able to map out what they needed. That was partner knowledge of the landscape, Tom's prior knowledge, the work that had been done, a, a Pure SE who'd actually come out of state government, a gentleman named Eric, Eric Nail. And so a little bit of a fun comment is because the systems were down, they couldn't do e-signature for anything. So they actually mm -hmm. physically had to sign a POC agreement. Uh, that's with Pure. It goes through SHI. We are, we are partner only. Yep. And that was signed on Sunday. And by Tuesday, we had the gear on site. Wow. Um, which is, if you think about normal lead times and shipping times, is, is pretty is pretty crazy. Um, now, now I, I realize I'm going a little long, so I'll, I'll put in another thought or two, and then you can keep you know see how, see how much deeper we want to go. But mm -hmm. they have since then they're able to recover dramatically fast. So there was a shipping and logistics time integration help from a pure and an SHI standpoint, and then the speed of recovery because how fast you could restore onto the pure gear, and then over the next year since then because that was 2019. Uh, they've kept implementing multiple phases of bringing more and more gear into Pure and actually implementing various protections inside Pure. We have immutable snapshots. We have safe mode. That's where if, even if someone has administrative credentials to a Pure system, heaven forbid, they can't do the final deletion of data. Um, they've actually continued on a multi-year phased process of more and more going into Pure and, and higher level of protections to prevent this from happening again. So hopefully that's not too long. And I, there's, there's actually more details, but I'll, I'll toss them back to you before I keep going. No, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And, and the one part that, that really stuck out to me is, I mean, you think to yourself, you hear the words New Orleans National Guard, um, you know, like <laughs> d disaster <laughs> infrastructure. Like I, I, I really give credit to the National Guard. Who, who, what, what, was, what was their role in that? Because that's just not how people think when they hear, you know, National Guard, right? That, that's really interesting to me. Yeah, so so there, there's a level here of apparently they, they play a role even from a cyber response standpoint. So there's FBI involved, there's CIA. Some of this I know some details that I'm intentionally not saying. Yep. Uh, but but th there was actually an evaluation that, that the federal government and agencies, in this case National Guard, and, and I think actually I believe there was some, some FBI in there too, of you know what you need to do is, is the recommendation. You shouldn't try and recover on your existing gear. Or even I'm not going to do a little bit of a side note from City of New Orleans. We actually often see this. Mm -hmm. uh, where there's almost kind of like either due to uh, cybersecurity policies that they have, the customer has, or due to insurance companies or regulators. Right. There's almost like virtual police tape put around the crime scene. Yep. And the customer's like, I got my systems and I want to start recovering. Like, nope, you can't do it on the systems that have the encrypted data. Yeah. You got to go and that's got to sit there for forensic analysis. Like, well, what do I recover to? I need to recover somewhere to something, you know, kind yeah. of thing. So, so it was that judgment call that they helped with. If, you know, you really need to go down the path of of don't think of to like spend a bunch of time trying to fix and change. And no, you you need to start over fresh and do that as soon as you can and yeah. helping with that critical decision point. And, and that's just so important because we've seen it before. It's almost like the, the co-pilot goes through the checklist. It's like, oh, turn to, you know, and, and, and you need it because when you're in the heat of uh, just the amount of pressure to get back up and running, like you've really got to cover all your bases. So kudos to the National Guard and all the agencies you mentioned in Pure and SHI for working together to make that happen. I, I, it's that's amazing that the agreement signed on Sunday and the, and the gear is is there on Tuesday and the, the conversion starts. So, um 
clearly there's a lot at stake when we're talking storage. Um, and I'd love to map out a few of the big trends and uh, considerations for our listeners. You're having these conversations every day. You know, what are you hearing and seeing in the storage space? And and what's what what's critical to get right in 2024? So this is where it's uh it's definitely based on uh, reading. I play a little bit of armchair analyst sometimes. I think I think we all do, but try not go into full <laughs> analyst mode. And you're like, oh, that that's 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 what's happening in five years. What's not what's happening now? <laughs> right. um, so I I may I I, th- I think potentially pull kind of three themes. Where if we do it the wrong way, people will be like, hey, that, that sounds like buzzwords. But if we do it the right way, it's like there's actually stuff here and we're in various stages of the hype cycle. So I, I think maybe okay. pull the kind of the ransomware theme a little bit because for better or worse, it's not getting better. Yeah. Um, and there's more coming there and things things to think about. Um, ironically, a little further down the hype cycle might be cloud and what that's meaning practically to customers. You know, w- what's reality and how do you make the cloud fit your business versus you know, fit everything that you do to the cloud, whether that's, you know, hybrid cloud, public cloud, on-prem, et cetera, mm-hmm. whole mix there. Uh, and, and then maybe the last one, and this may be earliest in the hype cycle, would actually would be AI. And there's actually some stuff that we are doing for customers and even maybe just a little bit of uh, larger perspective that I can provide. Because often, probably the most common thing I see there is folks getting told by their, you know, up the org chart, CIOs or whatever, like, do something with AI. And they're like, let me figure out something to do, you know, kind of thing. So it's like, we know no. we need to do something to that space. So but maybe I can give a little bit of commentary <laughs> perspective on maybe those three areas, if, if you think it makes sense. I, I heard a customer was, was talking about, um, they, they were they were having internal meetings and, and anytime they were talking up the management chain, like all of a sudden, every department just would use the word AI as much as humanly possible. And they just started looking around like, is any of this happening right now? A little bit of fairy dust, <laughs> sprinkle it around. It's all better. You know? um, it, it, actually, if I riff there a little bit, it takes me back. Now, this was actually when I was in, in partner roles. And actually, I uh, somewhere in here, I wanted to make sure to give out a shout out to Russ Cantwell, uh, who's a CTO for mm-hmm. SHI because where he and I met back in back in the day doing that stuff. Um, and he and I brainstormed periodically. So love working with Russ. But even we would sometimes, uh, you get an executive be like, we need to have a cloud strategy. And this is 15 years ago. And you'd be like, mm, right. okay. So you're working with the IT admin, exec, director, et cetera. You're like, okay, uh, we're helping you with virtualization. That depend as long as you're being honest about how your executive defines public cloud or maybe the bo- or defines cloud or maybe the board we can ch- help you check the box that you have a private cloud on prem that's doing good things cuz virtualization was good especially you know the whole 10 15 years ago like major transformation inside the data center and then we'll figure out what actually that'll give us buy us some breathing room to actually figure out what really makes sense to do with cloud strategy right. for it so yeah <laughs> Um, you started, you, so you said ransomware cloud AI, you started with ransomware. Um, so it, it, it isn't exactly a, a new imperative to, for business, but as you said, it, it seems to be getting worse. Um, why does it continue to be such a challenge and, and how is it evolving or, or where are you seeing, you know, this, this evolution happen? So, so there's a degree, there are a couple core principles. Uh, one, one I'll start with even just at a, at a personal level. So when I was a, a data center admin, engineer, architect, if you'd asked me, is everything in your data center? Now, this is not whether it's data center or cloud or not, but in your systems, is it all patched, hardened, up to date, complying with SIG guidelines? I'd be like, that's an extremely uncomfortable question. I'd rather not answer that in front of my boss. But, but we all know the answer, right? Because we build these stacks of infrastructure. And at any given time, any given thing may have an attack vector that hasn't been fully patched. 
or let's insert the whole fact that we're humans and humans can uh, have social engineering and we're not going to close down that attack vector. So there's a piece here where we're never going to be able to fully stop everything because that even goes into a little bit of the security usability continuum. If you make something entirely secure, it's not actually usable by the people that need to use it, right? right? So it's always a continuum you're going back and forth. So you take that underlying piece. There's always going to be new, new and shifting attack vectors. And even actually referring back to Coffee Break, had a gentleman on um, Hector Monseeger, um, he was previously Sabu. He was a, a black hat. Um, now, now white hat after he served his time and does actually he does a podcast with the FBI agent that arrested him, ironically. And I had him on and we were talking about even some some new developments there, like there are rogue telcos in Africa. You think about, you know, we get at codes via SMS. They're actually mm-hmm. plugged into some of that infrastructure. Or you think about things like MFA fatigue. Um, and so that's where, you know, someone <clears throat> actually compromises a little bit and they, then they go in and over and over again, you see it pop up on your phone and eventually you or your kid, whoever hits yes. And you didn't mean to hit that in Octo or the multi-factor authentication. Right. choice. So the attackers are intelligent outside of a, a moral compass, right? They're economically motivated. So there's going to, as long as there's the attack vectors that keep shifting in creativity, it's only going to keep getting worse and shifting. And so what that's turned into is, to me, it's not table stakes, but the I think the two biggest themes that I end up hitting on with customers is, one, this is a resiliency conversation. That's an intersection of kind of disaster recovery and security, so layers of defense, you know, defense in depth, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you need to have resiliency because you don't want to be at your last line of defense all the time. And then, being candid, where sometimes I shift in from a pure standpoint is talking about um, speed of recovery. Immutability, even if the attacker gets administrative access to your backup or storage systems, that's a really hard attack factor for solve for. We can help with that, you know, via, via safe mode. Um, and then even simplicity, because if all the, the protections that you set up take so much care and feeding to keep going every day, they won't be there when you need them. That's the classic backup admin thing. Like, when do you find out you weren't backing something up? You find out when. Actually, you know, it goes and hmm, someone comes for restore and you're like, ooh, I wasn't backing that server up. That's when you're fine. So if it needs all this day-to-day care and feeding. So um, it's not going to slow down, but but we keep focusing on this space and even me because I'm working for a company that can help, but trying to do so at a little bit of an art larger industry landscape perspective. It used to be simpler for businesses. All you had to do was create an amazing product and put it in front of an audience. But today, success takes a lot more. Technology has to be constantly improved, and your data is under threat with cyber attacks happening increasingly often. So, how do you manage data sprawl while continuing to innovate? Data storage doesn't need to be complicated. Pure Storage is helping businesses like yours embrace the cloud and the future of data flexibility. And here's how. Pure's evergreen solutions accelerate your core business applications. You can test solutions before you buy, making sure you realize the quickest return on investment. And once you've built it out, Pure experts can install and deploy your equipment for you. What's more, the Pure platform provides actionable advice driven by data and adapted in real time. And since threats can come at any time, data security is always on. You get resiliency and rapid recovery in the event of an attack. Plus, Pure Storage is easy to set up, operate, and scale. Here's the best part for Innovation Heroes listeners. Pure and SHI are the dynamic duo when it comes to data storage solutions. With SHI's expertise, we provide customers with dependable products backed by lasting relationships they can trust. Turn bottlenecks into breakthroughs with Pure's modern data experience. 
talk to an SHI expert today by tapping the button on the bottom of the screen at shi.com slash brands slash pure dash storage. So we've heard from a few guests on the show that one of the key holdups with cyber holdups, but one of the one of the hurdles that you have to clear with cybersecurity is building that buy-in and getting the support for the budgets and resources kind of required to make it work. You know, alongside with also you mentioned MFA fatigue and and it, it's a real thing with end users, you know, and and it's like that that whole narrative is is not like oh your worst employee is the one that let, let the ransomware you know no, not necessarily. <laughs> agents in you know not and not at all it's just uh. So, so trying getting everybody to buy in, support for the budgets and resources, knowing that all those things exist. Is this something you've come across? And like, if, if somebody's out there like trying to get this buy in, like, what's the advice for overcoming it? Short of, have you ever been through a ransomware attack before? And you're, we know you're never going to want to do it again. But how, how do you get that buy in if, if you're in that boat right now? So I'm I'm going to go down two paths here. One is the how to hopefully proactively get buy-in and then also acknowledge the reality, which is actually what you said. Sometimes the buy-in doesn't happen until after the attack, but it's still worth doing something then because statistically you'll get attacked again within a month or two. The attackers will actually monetize and sell any the back doors that they left in place. So so let's start with the world where we can be proactive because we should be, we want to be, but life, life is not simple. So what, what I, th- I see most often there is probably um, where, depending on where you are living in the org chart, and this is maybe if you're a if you're a partner or a consultant, and where you're ta- talking to in the org chart, um, where sometimes this can get stuck a little bit is if we're is when we're chatting with um, storage admins that are very focused on just the storage side, and for them, there's no focus on you know a, a ten or a twenty percent increase in cost or whatever it is, because some of these protections, um, maybe there's an increase in storage cost for snapshot space. Uh, at least from a pure standpoint, there's not licensing cost, but maybe you do think of having longer retention and other box sitting there, whatever layers of protection you put in, these aren't free. Um, and if you, however, if you have a comp, and so someone, someone can be at that level of the orchard and be like, Ooh, this is, I don't have any budget for this. This is a big absolute number, even if it's not a big percentage number. If you have that same conversation with the CISO or with an executive, or you start to map into some of the classic costs of downtime, and reputational and organizational damage and customer revenue loss, those numbers get to be really big. And in some cases, this has happened. I'm going to leave out names now. It can be an existential risk to the business. It's it's will you will you go out of business? There's a Fortune 100 that I worked with, where their comment was the attack was bad enough that as if this happens again, we may not be in business anymore. Um, and that that was more. I mean, they're a big enough company; they'd probably get sold off for parts, you know, that yeah, kind of thing, yeah. if you will. But that that company, as it stands, wouldn't be in business. So it's often more about gently, not in a pushy, ambulance chasing, scary way, illustrating you know how bad this could be. That often gets into to illustrate that out more and prepare the idea of doing tabletop exercises. This is stuff that I know that SHI can help customers with. You're kind of walking through um, what actually happens in the case of an attack. Who do you call? what needs to be done. You're actually kind of playing out like, like as if you get attacked, if you mm-hmm. will. So, so one is the, is really just going down the perspective path. Cause usually there's someone in the organization who understands the level of risk, but often they're not thinking about the storage layer as an area where you can do mitigation of that risk. So that visibility and the perspective, because it is the last line of defense, that kind of thing. Now, the other reality, and this is now going to be a, an anonymized customer story, it was a customer who actually looked at some of the protections Pierre had and said, no, we've got a really good cybersecurity stance, et cetera. Okay. Uh, they're a national manufacturing organization. 
and then their IT operations password database got compromised. No, at that point, all bets are off, right? They yeah. had a lot of great stuff, but like that's yeah. keys to the kingdom. So they actually one of the first calls was to Pure, and they said, you know, hey. Can you help us? Well, it's very hard to set. You can't set up some of these protections retroactively. That's just not how right. uh, space-time continuum works, right? You know, <laughs> until we have, until we go like full science fiction. So, but the crazy thing is, they we were able to help them recover. They actually did have an, an outage. It was in the in the news from a manufacturing plant standpoint. They put some protections in place, so we had a seven-day national outage. Uh, about a month later, they got hit. Now, in that time, they put in actually some of the peer-level protections. While they got hit again. It was actually a almost a non-event. Not that you don't have to do mm. recovery because you, if there's encryption, you have to roll back before the point of encryption period, and then make in an offline environment and make sure the data is sanitized before you put it back in production. That all still applies, but it didn't hit the news. It wasn't a public event. They were able to handle it from an internal IT standpoint. So that goes to some of that resiliency standpoint. You don't always want to be at your last line of defense, but it's not a question of if you get hit. It's a question of when. And maybe how many times per decade or per year, sadly, you know, yeah. kind of thing. So well, those are the pieces I see. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's about immunity and um, it, it definitely, it just sounds like it, it, it could definitely build if, if you're doing the, doing the work, uh, you know, after, after the attack, especially. Um, so you talked about it to the in terms of the, the three themes, uh, cloud was the second. Um, yeah. What are you seeing today with your customer and, and how is the storage conversation evolving when it comes to, to cloud versus on-premise? This has been an interesting evolution to watch, and I'm 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 almost, I'm almost hoping that you'll, you'll jump in here and give some of your perspective as I'm going along too. But I mean, like let's say ten years ago, maybe fifteen, ten to fifteen, it was like a beginning of public cloud. I should remember when AWS started. Shame on me. Someone will Google that and be like, I know that. You know, I, kind of I have thing, 2011 <laughs> in my head, and I and that that represents everything from like 05 to like 14. Uh, so I just I don't know. That's the year I always just pick. a blur. <laughs> yeah, uh, but we started out with as with. Uh, from, a, from a human standpoint, we love to embrace new technology and get excited about it and think it will solve all, it'll be a panacea to solve all the previous things. That's not how any of this works. Right. Let's talk about mainframes in the data center and COBOL. None of it ever goes away. Right. Eventually, we find the new spot in the size and fit. So cloud started out as to the cloud. Everything's going to the cloud. Cloud only. And then it was maybe cloud first. And then it moved into cloud right. Um and, and actually, I, I was working with a, a customer this, this last year, and we were chatting about cloud strategy. And he said, you know, we actually kind of got behind on that, but we're glad that we did because we've moved to an application fit perspective. We we, we say it's not, we don't, the CIO was actually not, not snarky, but was all, when I, we were talking about it, I was like, I don't have a cloud strategy. I have an application placement strategy. Mm. It was like, yeah, that that to me, it's a little bit of how you how you say the words, but that's a better way to look at it because cloud is, it can be a business model. And start to change how you do things from a flexibility and on-demand building and OPEX and that kind of stuff. But we are now, I think, into this maturity level of seeing a mix of public cloud, um, hybrid cloud, just about any customer out there. Anybody listening to this, you are probably in some way a multi-cloud environment, if only because you have software as a service applications that live in different clouds that you may not even know where they live in. Because right. software as a service, it's not your problem if they use Oracle or they use Google or Amazon or Azure. Like you're, you're buying up the stack further. Now, what we've seen is, so getting to this reality of it's a blend of hybrid cloud, on-prem, public cloud, et cetera, what we've seen is as, as there's been trying to be more migration to from on-prem to the cloud, in some cases, there's, a, there's the design center of what the cloud was built around, and it wasn't necessarily built around enterprise features. Different cloud providers have different levels of maturity there as far as enterprise customers, but it especially wasn't built around 
um, maturity in some of the areas that sometimes we take for granted on-prem. If you think I'm going to go to storage, well, hey, you might have guessed it. But you you look at the storage (laughs) layer. uh, We actually worked with um, Azure at one point for a customer wanting to run SAP because you take something like synchronous replication of the storage layer. Pure's done that for a while. We do it far simpler than anyone else that's included. That's not something that's offered in the cloud at a storage layer because often the, the block storage devices were built to be kind of hard drive on steroids, et cetera. You, think, you ask about how do you do deduplication in cloud storage? You don't. It wasn't built for it. That's not a knock on it. It just wasn't what it was built for. You mm-hmm. ask about how do you do, let, let's go back to the ransomware comment, discussion. How do you do pointer-based snapshots and make 10 copies instantly of a dev test environment? So for instance, now this is a real customer store, uh, actually where they would make 10 copies of a database to do financial regression analysis because it was a multi-level marketing firm that did lots of commissions. How do you do that in the cloud? You don't. And if you have a CIO mandate to move everything to AWS and now you can't provide that ability to your finance team, you're stuck. So we partnered heavily with AWS and with Azure uh, both uh, because we we are good at the storage and the data services layer. They're bigger than we are, but they're partnering with us just because this is hard stuff to do. And, and even recently have announced um, you know, a, a very deep partnership with Azure around AVS, Azure VMware solution. But the core of it is that you could have all the storage capabilities and simplicity that Pure brings on-prem in the cloud. So you're not giving that up. You're not having a an unintended migration to a different or less capable version of, of storage. So you bring all the simplicity, you bring all the data reduction, uh, you bring the resiliency because, uh, you know, so let's go back to the six nines comment. We can talk about six nines resiliency. Um, and, and, and then, and then even thinking about features and this is, you know, going into replication and snapshots, et cetera. So uh, sometimes this is stuff that if I, if I'm not careful, it just sounds like, Oh, you're just talking about a bunch of technical features, but these are things that underpin business processes or either sometimes, let's say you take out thin provisioning and deduplication and compression, it might be 10x the storage when you move it. And suddenly that blows up your financial model, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. So right. this, is, this range of maturity of what people are seeing. And then frankly, a, a, you know, a little bit of serendipity, but the, the, what we have done on-prem being portable into a cloud virtual storage array environment, not like a you know, one-off low-key thing but actually providing all the pure capabilities in the cloud as well. And we are finding um, for actually a couple of years, what we did with cloud block store, maybe it was a little bit of a solution looking for a problem. We've all heard that. And as people have gotten further and further in their cloud maturity journey phase, man, it's been a dramatic uptick in interest and in, in customers there. Cause they're realizing I'm far enough that I, I need this in my cloud journey. In my career, we were just talking historically about cloud and, and the buzzword. Like cloud became my my Watergate moment where it's like everything after the cloud buzzword was released, I didn't quite believe it as much as I had maybe before, <laughs> you know? Uh, and it was kind of that life-changing thing because, uh, you know, we had these proclamations from, um, you know, from, from, from CIOs, like I'm not going to have, you know, any on-premise servers like within 18 months or whatever. And I'm like... Did that ever happen? Like, I don't seem to seem to recall that, you know. <laughs> and the reason that I even mentioned that historic perspective is because I'm con- contractually obligated. Um, you know, I think it's it's about to become law where I have to mention AI and Gen AI and, and ask, you know, uh, how is that the 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 reigning king of the buzzwords? Like, how is that impacting the storage and data management discussion? Um, you know, and 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 what what can you what do you see um, in regards to uh, to, to AI and Gen AI. So th- this is an area where especially I try and kind of put my brain in different gears, try and acknowledge what is happening at an industry buzz level. 
maybe a kind of a industry analyst, uh, analyst relations. That, that's always the IR, AR, um, investor relations, analyst relations. Okay, if you're if you're a CEO talking on you know a, a public stock earnings call. Also, what is happening from a customer standpoint, uh, hands on, and even from a strategic and architect standpoint. So, I'd say that within AI, as far as the customers that I'm chatting with, and I, I want to give a, a shout out here to um, Alex McMullen. He's our international field CTO, and some of this is my conversation. Some of it's borrowed from discussions that I've had with, with him recently. Is seeing two two big categories here from an adoption standpoint within customers, and, and I'm mentioning this because hopefully it'll help folks that are out there listening, kind of wondering like, man, am I really behind and everyone else is for, or am I am I further ahead, et cetera? So with a little bit of a, a broad brush across you know a good number of customers and industries, um, you you have the folks that have been there's probably two big categories. Uh, you have the folks that have been doing this for a long for a long time before mm-hmm. all the buzz about AI maybe two, three, four, five years, et cetera. Um, they've got a lot of things in, pl- in place. Uh, they've trained up their data models. They figured out good questions to ask. They're starting to get some good results. And a lot of times what they're in is now in the data pipelines. We can think about data pipelines. We can even talk about like ETL type stuff, but they're now looking for more and better data sources and how do they normalize and cleanse them and feed them into their models. So they've actually got some competitive advantage there. And they're now in how do we scale this and grow this. Uh, the companies that are doing that may have started in the cloud. I wasn't just trying to go back to cloud, but there, there's a principle here of, um, and now this is bridging a little bit into the second category of customers that are maybe just getting started or trying to figure out kind of which way is up. Right. Is uh, there was a great article by Andreessen Horowitz. Uh, they're a pretty well-known venture capital firm in Silicon Valley, right? You know, uh, Mark Andreessen. Folks might know who he is. Or go Google if you don't. You know, some fun <laughs> internet history there. And they wrote an article called "The Cloud Cost Paradox." It applies to a lot of things, but but in this case, it applies specifically to AI. The summary of the article, because it's a good 14-page article that's actually written by folks that did a lot of funding for like cloud-type startups, is you're crazy not to start in the cloud, but you're crazy to stay there forever. Mm-hmm. So let's unpack that a little bit for even some of the existing folks, new folks. You want to try out some basic things. You want to swipe a credit card. You want to get GPU access. You don't have to spend a lot of time waiting for infrastructure or colo space, et cetera. You start out there, you start playing around, you kind of figure out what's worthwhile or not. But there's a certain crossover point. And now this is one that the the, the first category of folks that I mentioned have already hit, where the benefits of the cloud is that it's easy scalability with little lock-in and upfront cost. But eventually, once you start to run a lot, the cloud provider business model is to take those economies of scale and those margins, and that's how they make their margins, their profitability. Mm, Right. So you get to an inflection point, and you could say this with, you know, Hey Corporation has done this. There was stuff about Box in the past, but this absolutely applies to AI too. So the more established folks have started to go more toward they're buying GPUs, and when you do that, you need storage on-prem that can keep up. That's where pure plays in. And this is now somewhat unique. It's a it's not a IOPS and latency conversation often. It's a throughput conversation. It's a metadata conversation. It's possibly uh, millions and billions of small files, you know, kind of thing. So systems that are built for that. Um, I should mention just uh, so folks are like, man, he's being fuzzy all the time. We're talking about things that we do with both FlashBlade and FlashRay. Uh, Meta is one of the best examples there, aka Facebook. They built a lot of their supercomputing AI stuff on top of FlashRay C and FlashBlade, one that is a lower cost kind of block offering. Uh, the other is a crazy high throughput, I'm sorry, lower cost per terabyte. So it's still Flash, but you know, hey, um, in the two to five milliseconds, FlashBlade is crazy high throughput. So you get to this inflection point where maybe you start in the cloud. Now for folks that are just starting out, now this would be category two, um, they are often starting out in the cloud 
And to be honest, that's probably the right thing to do because you don't you want to start to play around with up the stack stuff as soon as you can and start to ask questions and get answers out and start to suck data in. But the biggest thing that I mentioned, try and mention to folks, although if I'm not careful, it comes across as self-serving, but you know, they need to validate it themselves and they can talk with other customers, mm-hmm. is watch for the inflection point where it's becoming too expensive to where it won't be worth the business benefit, the business value you get at cloud costs when you scale at 10x or 100x. Sometimes I think of it a little bit as like planning for success. Sometimes we plan for failure. But like, what if this is amazingly successful and we want to make it 100 times bigger? <laughs> Will we now be stuck? like data gravity lock-in. So recognizing that there's an inflection point where you'll want to pull the right pieces, not necessarily on-prem, but into a colo. Maybe the the pure pieces or otherwise are still on a subscription or OPEX or consumption basis, but recognizing that fundamentally renting uh, compute and and storage and all the other pieces related to it, those companies make margins and you may need to reclaim those margins if you have success as you're playing around in this space. First of all, thank you for everything that you shared here. But I, I, you know, we have in our audience a combination of both tenured leaders at, at, and those just starting out in their IT career. And mm-hmm. I love that you included the sabbatical and travel time and your work history on your LinkedIn <laughs> profile. And I, I, I've looked at a lot of LinkedIn profiles, been hiring for a really long time. I'm not sure that I've seen that before. And as someone coming up on 27 years at SHI this June, I wanted to ask wow. you, you know, what did you learn on your sabbatical and, and how did you benefit from it? And, and why is that important for you to tell people that, like, uh, on your timeline? Because I think that's a very conscious choice. And I think that, you know, you put it on there and you, and you want people, you know, to, to know that. And, and uh, I was just kind of curious. Can you, can you, would you care to comment on that? Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to. I mean, it is, it is somewhat unique. Um, and and there, there's a whole lot of different pieces here, I'd say. The, the first time, because I actually kind of did two of them. Um, it, it was for me, actually, the one, and I'll just be there, there's some good, potential financial underpinnings i've been very fortunate and you live below your means and that kind of stuff too that sure. that has to be in there i kind of think because yep. these, these weren't paid uh but but for me i've, I've got twin boys and uh realized uh, when they were six it was like i don't just get one year when there's it's not like 12 years until they're out of the house i get you one year when they're six i get one right. year when they're seven i get one year when they're eight and each of those years now they're teenagers uh sometimes you look back you're like man i wish i could have the six-year-old year back but other times you're like man i could have these great conversations i think parents know that so there is a sense of that we we don't live to work it is work to live and even like congratulations on the 27 years of shi and the depth and breadth of relationships and friendships you've made but fundamentally there are more more important things than the technology yeah and so i had a really cool opportunity Uh, my wife's from singapore so we went back to visit her family there traveled around southeast asia for a couple months and it was just a lot of family time and frankly it was a lot of recharging because i've been kind of close to burnout and a lot of just reading uh not doing a uh, not quite a master's you know per se but just like educating yourself right and then what came out of that was interestingly often when we do kind of job searches we have to skulk around in the background a little bit you know you're taking calls in the bathroom hopefully not you know kind of thing but (laughs) almost that style right but when you are able to do a really open job search and you've hopefully done the right thing from a network standpoint not just like Mm -hmm. networking to take advantage of people you know folks and you reach out and like how are you doing to catch up that turned up an opportunity at rubric that was a hyper growth startup that i probably never would have found uh what i'm doing at pure um i had a previous boss who um Gave me this like snarky Facebook message when I was in Hong Kong. It was like, hey, are you ever going to work again? And I was like, yeah, yeah, we'll be back in the U.S. in like another month, you know, kind of thing. Right. And that right. was the introduction to the, to the role at Pure. So I, I, it, it took some intentionality, um, but I think there's just this recognition that 
family matters. We're here to do more. And even sometimes widening the perspective, it takes some intentionality. But I appreciate your mentioning that. There's there's actually a blog post or two that I put out if folks are more curious about that and how I pulled it off. And I linked to some other folks who actually have done this. Um, Ken Hoy, um, Keith Townsend, uh, folks in the space who have done some of this. So I modeled off of that. But it was it was absolutely worthwhile. I recommend it to everybody. Although it's I'm not going to say it's a trivial thing to do, but it's a it's a worthwhile thing to do. Yeah, I just I really saw that and I thought to myself that that had to be fantastic. So I just definitely wanted to point that out and just wanted to say another big thank you for Andrew to, yeah. for shedding light on the indispensable role of all the storage heroes out there helping us tackle our most critical business challenges. Uh, these heroes are at the forefront, shielding us from ransomware and ensuring our cloud and AI endeavors thrive. Remember, it's not just tech, but people who are making a difference. Okay. Selfishly, one more thing. That does it for Season 5 of Innovation Heroes. We'll be taking a break, but coming back soon with lots of new episodes and a whole new roster of inspiring heroes. Uh, I must say, personally, this has been one of my favorite seasons of all. And if you're just discovering us now, please do go back and check out all those conversations we had. I'm confident you're going to love it as much as I do. But of course, I would say something like that because I'm your host, Ed McNamara. You've been listening to Innovation Heroes, an SHI podcast. Andrew, thanks again. This episode is brought to you by Pure Storage. Turn bottlenecks into breakthroughs with Pure's modern data experience. Talk to an expert today and learn more at shi.com slash brands slash pure dash storage.